Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. The writer and journalist Joan Didion wrote that we tell ourselves stories in order to live. The novelist and author Graham Greene wrote that a story has no beginning or end. Arbitrarily, one chooses that moment of experience from which to look back or from which to look ahead. Marc Rebeau, the photographer, said that taking pictures is savouring life intensely every hundredth of a second. I think all three of those quotes there have a relevance to what's been going on in the world over the last week. I've always had a problem with describing myself as a photographer, never as an artist and with difficulty as a writer, certainly not as a podcast presenter and producer. Well, why? Well, because I've never perceived myself as good at those things as those who I do use those descriptions to describe. But I may have come up with a solution for when people ask me what I do. I think I'm a documentarian. And I think that's interesting for us all to consider for a moment. I think maybe that's what we are. And in times when history is being written, not just every month or week or hour, it's almost every minute that things are changing of dramatic nature. As photographers, writers and as a podcast presenter, I feel that we are documenting what's happening. We're documenting the life we lead and the world we're living in. So I'm, I'm quite happy, I think, with that term, documentarium. Interestingly enough, I was having a conversation this week with somebody about fashion photography, one of the uh, top art directors in the world, actually, dealing exactly with that thing. And we were talking about the death of fashion photography. And I was talking about the idea that in the past, the clothes were so important. But now it seems that fashion photography has become a documentation, but not a documentation of what's going on externally, but a documentation of what's going on internally, that the photographer and the ego of the photographer has become the dominant. Certainly in the past, when I worked in fashion photography, that wasn't the case. Following on from that idea of documentarianism, I've been finishing off the brilliant book, Extremists, or I should say In Extremists, The Life of War Correspondent Marie Colvin by Lindsay Hilsom. It really is a fantastically researched, detailed uh, documentation of uh, Colvin's life. Reflecting back on last week's thoughts about memory and childhood, it's very clear to see the importance of childhood to Colvin. She certainly had no fear of being on the front line and making sure that whatever was happening, what the story was, was what we found out about on our evening news. And so many photographers and reporters and journalists have been doing exactly that on the front line of American politics and COVID politics worldwide. A good friend of mine, a photographer, has just spent three days in a London hospital working on exactly that. A COVID story of intense emotional uh, impact. As writers, as photographers, as documentarians, we're 
retelling the story, but so often we become part of the story and so involved in the story that it can have, as many photographers have spoken about in the past, an incredibly negative impact on our well-being. It certainly did with Marie Colvin. An intensity of purpose is something that perhaps we need to guard against, whilst at the same time it's exactly what's required to tell the stories with the impact that they deserve. I think I am a documentarian, but I'm certainly not a frontline documentarian. I don't have that sense of courage, and my hat goes off to those photographers and writers and journalists who do. During the same conversation with the uh, art director that I was just referring to there, we also uh, spoke a little bit about Zoom shoots and the amount of photographers who are using Zoom during this COVID and lockdown period as their principal tool of photography. Well, I say principal tool of photography, but I was quite interested in talking to her and finding out exactly what's going on and what are people doing. She was talking about a shoot she's got coming up with one of the world's top supermodels, and it was going to be a Zoom shoot. What was basically going to take place was that the shoot was going to take place on a screen, but then the photographer had set up a DSLR camera and was going to photograph the screen. I presume the reason for doing that is to ensure that you get a large enough file that you can work in post on. But of course, what it's also doing is adding another layer uh, away from, a step away from the original because of the screen and the digital image and then photographing the digital image. And that took me right back to 1984 when I first came across a computer uh, at St Martin's School of Art, we had, uh, I'm not sure how many, I don't think more than a couple. I do remember there being a revolving door to get into the computer room and the people who were allowed to touch to the computers, they wore white coats. But anyway, for some reason, the only way we could get an image printed out digitally was by strapping a uh, analog film camera into a big box, putting the film in the back, shooting something, and then an image came out. I have no idea how it actually worked. But what it did remind me of when I was uh, talking to this art director was it seems to me that the Zoom world of photography is just as chaotic and just as kind of uh, make it up as you go along. It'll be interesting to see if any photographers stick with this way of working when we finally come out of lockdown. There's been a certain kind of element, a tinge of fashion photography to this week's episode. Once again, not planned. But it's time to uh, introduce our photographer this week who's going to explain what photography means to him. And there's a fashion tinge to his work also, but again, not deliberately. So who is it? Well, it's Joseph Zabo, who's a teacher, photographer and author. He taught photography and art at Malvern High School on Long Island for 27 years and for over 20 years at the International Center of Photography in New York. His 1978 book, Almost Grown, featured many of his students and was acclaimed as one of the best books of the year by the American Library Association. 
In the book's forward, legendary photojournalist and founder of the International Centre of Photography, Cornell Kapper, wrote that in Zabo's hands, the camera is magically there. The light is always available. The moment is perceived, seen and caught. Throughout the 80s and 90s, almost grown, grown, attained cult classic status in the fashion world, prompting Vogue editor Grace Coddington to notice that all the young fashion, fashion photographers were looking at Joe's photographs as their Bible. In 2003, Zabo released Teenage, his more complete view of adolescence coming of age. His most recent book, Jones Beach, captures his 40-year exploration of summer at New York's most popular beach. Zabo's evocative black-and-white images have won him worldwide recognition and admiration from photographers including Bruce Weber and filmmakers Cameron Crowe and Sophia Coppola. He is the recipient of a photography fellowship from the National Endowment for the Arts and his images reside in the collections of the Bibliothèque Nationale in Paris, the George Eastman House Museum in Rochester, Museum of Modern Art in New York and the San Francisco Museum of Art among many others. His photographs have been published in the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the London Times, French Vogue, Women's Wear Daily and exhibited in galleries in Paris, London, Japan, New York, Atlanta and Los Angeles. That's an awful lot of talk from me. Let's hear from Joseph. Hello, everybody, and good morning. My name is Joseph Sabo, and I'm a photographer and teacher. I live on Long Island, New York. So today I'd like to talk about what photography means to me. Photography is a very special gift given to me to express my feelings. And it has made my life very wonderful, fulfilling, and complete, and a special gift for me to share. Now, a little on my background. After getting married to my wife, Nancy, we came to New York, where I went to Pratt Institute and majored in photography, graduating with a Master of Fine Arts. I then got a position teaching art and photography on Long Island, and while teaching, I photographed my family constantly and attended lectures at New York University, moderated by the great Cornell Kappa. I also started um, photographing my high school students and during the summertime, uh, I photographed the people at Jones Beach. My approach was to do long-term projects. So, for example, teenagers I photographed for 30 years, the beach for 40 years, and the result was that I published several books. My first book, Almost Grown, was published in 1978. Then others followed. Teenage in 2003, Jones Beach in 2010, Rolling Stone fans in 2015, and Lifeguard in 2018. During this time, I was also teaching evening classes at the International Center of Photography in New York City. Photography has opened up my life to others allowed me, basically a shy person, to get to know and understand others as well as strangers. Uh, 
It helped me to establish a trust and respect for others, which is especially important when I photographed my high school students. My latest book, Hometown, is now out and covers suburban scenes from Long Island to Maine, Ohio, and Illinois, and reminds us of the memories of our past. The photos remind us of the good old days, imperfect, fleeting, and yet beloved. So I'm very grateful for the gift of photography, which has made me alert and curious, wanting to see with intensity what's out there, to see the beauty around me and share my vision with others. And the sharing is so important. So I hope you have enjoyed my words and I hope they have given you a little insight as to what photography means to me and has done for me and I hope you get a chance to visit my website thanks very much for listening thank you Joseph for your contribution this week Uh, once again memory proving to be uh, so intrinsic to the creative practice as is uh, childhood and actually his documentation of other childhoods, those teenage years. Uh, Do check out his website, as Joseph uh, suggests, if you're not aware of his work. I particularly like the Rolling Stones uh, fans book, to be honest. So check that stuff out as well. When we're talking about memory, and I was talking at the beginning of this week's podcast about history and how it seems as if we're living through a time of just incredible dramatic change. Uh, I'm recording this podcast um, very shortly after the attack um, by Trump supporters on the Capitol in Washington. And what caught my eye about that was not only the images that came out Uh, from professional photographers and photographers who very clearly understood what they were doing and quickly got their images to uh, Getty and to Reuters and and to AP, but was also the images that um, were of the people who had stormed the building, Trump supporters, who seemed to all be holding up their phones and filming everything. And it just made me wonder what that was all about. And I think that completely connects with the idea of memory. And it takes me back to another really kind of tumultuous historical event, I suppose, which was the death of Princess Diana, Lady Diana. I was kind of affected by that in that I was art directing Tatler magazine and we had spent the previous 10 years covering everything Diana. And so when it actually happened, I was driving back from France, actually, through the night. And so I'd been listening to it on the radio. And so it had a similar kind of uh, effect on me as watching the capital being stormed in that I felt as if I was part of, I was, history was happening. Anyway, um, the Diana whole situation occurred. And then, of course, there was the funeral And I remember vividly watching as her funeral car 
drove off to um, its final resting place, her final resting place, and people photographing the car as it went past. And I remember commenting at the time, well, what are people ever going to do with these photographs? Surely you're not going to invite people round or put it in pictures in an album of Diana's funeral car. And I felt the same watching what was going on the other day with this filming of this attack. Were people really going to be getting home and showing people the film. Most of it would be unwatchable. The the phone would, wouldn't be still, it would be blurry and so forth. You would be able to watch it for a very, very short space of time. But then, of course, the reality of both of those situations is that the non-photographer is using the photographic tool to create memory, to actually be able to say, I was there. I was there because I can prove I was there because look at this. It takes that whole idea of what we're doing with photography into our realms of thought and discussion and academia and theory and so forth. I don't want to get into those. But I do think it's really important to just recognise that fact that photography is not owned by us, the photographers. It is democratic. And I saw somebody talking about this use of the word democratic and how photography wasn't democratic. And they were going into very, very kind of convoluted argument around it. What I mean by democratic is it's available to all. It's available to anybody who's got a phone, not just anybody who's got a camera. And I think the past week has really demonstrated that. So I thought that was worth picking up on. I hope you agree. As we come to the end of this podcast, um, I'm just going to give you a, a quick reminder that the book is on sale, £9.99. What does photography mean to you? Which is a collection of 89 professional award-winning photographers from around the world explaining what photography means to them. It's a great little book. We've had lots of really positive feedback on it. Um, and you can get that from bluecoatpress.com. So that's just £9.99. Um, the other thing I'm just going to ask you is it would be great if you enjoy this podcast, which a lot of you seem to be um, enjoying it. You're telling me you're enjoying it. It would be great if you're listening on something like iTunes or anywhere else where you can write a little review. Please do. It would be great to be able to, if you could do that for us. It really helps us on the uh, the iTunes uh, metadata stuff and all of those things and uh, ensure that as many people as possible can hear what we're doing and what we're trying to share with you and the discussions we're trying to promote and provoke. As I always say, you don't have to agree with me and actually I'd prefer it if you didn't. But we can always have a situation in a mutually respectful kind of relationship where we can listen to opinions which we don't agree with and we don't have to storm a building to get our voices heard. On that note, it leaves me, as we're right in the middle of yet another full lockdown, to make one suggestion to all of you, and that's to take care. Mm -hmm.